Father, we just praise you for marriage. We praise you for the yes. model it is of yes. your love for your people. And so we That's right. we just pray your blessing on these marriages. We pray that these would be marriages committed to you and that above all else, they would shine your light to the world in the way they relate to each Amen. other and love each other and yes. sacrifice. So just be in these. Uh, be with Joe right now as he delivers your word. I pray that your spirit would speak through him. I pray yes. that your spirit would work in our hearts and minds to receive truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Thank you, brother. Wow, what a cool way to start in his engagements. Well, well, guess, guess how I'm going to start. There was this guy. Okay? There was this guy, and this guy, Fred, was actually Gary Hutchison, was this guy. And most of y'all know Gary is from Louisiana, right? Went to high school, went to college in Louisiana. All right. Gary loves fishing. Now, he loves Jesus, but he loves fishing, too. And he's loved fishing all his life. In fact, like most Cajuns from Louisiana, Gary had a P-Row. Now, you know what a P-Row is? A P-Row. In fact, I got a picture of Gary in his P-Row. Come on, look at it. Come on. Here we, yeah, there he is. That's Gary in his P-Row. A P-Row like a Cajun canoe. You paddle around in the bio, you know, and you go fishing. Now, that's Gary. Back in high school, in his P-Row. Now, B- Gary's best buddy was a Cajun boy named Boudreaux. And Gary and Boudreaux used to go fishing all the time, all right? And one day, Gary's back here paddling the P-Row, and he looks across the bayou, and he said, Boudreaux, there's a gator right out there swimming across the bayou. Boudreaux said, what do you want me to do, Gary? He said, cast that whopper plopper out there in front of that gator. See if he'll hit it. So Boudreaux, I mean, they use a 150-pound line because they fit catching a big old catfish in the bayou. So he had this heavy line. He cast that whop plop right there. Whop is a topwater bait. Goes across the topwater. Went right in front of that gator. And all of a sudden, whoa, my gator bit that plug. And Boudreaux set the hook. Now he's battling that thing. He's fighting it. He's fighting that gator, dragging the P-Row all over the bayou. About 10 minutes, he's trying to fight him up. He finally gets him up to the edge of the P-Row. And Boudreaux says, what do I do now? Gary said, I don't care what you do with that gator. But that's my whopper plopper in his mouth. That thing costs $20. You better get it out. So Boudreaux, he, he reached down in that gator's mouth, tried to grab that thing in that gator. Whoa! He bit his arm off halfway up to the ale rod and swallowed it. Gators, Boudreaux hollering and blood going everywhere. Gary pulled out his pistol. Boom! Shot that gator graveyard dead right there in the bayou. He come floating up. Gary reached down, grabbed that big old gator, took out his pocket knife, and ripped that gator, rooter to tutor, reached in there, grabbed Boudreaux's arm out of that gator's belly, and brought it back. Boudreaux still screaming. Gary threw the gator back in the bio. Boudreaux said, what are you going to do? He said, Boudreaux, I believe the Lord has called me to be a surgeon, and I am going to fix your arm. I'm going to sew it right back on, right here in the P-Roll. He said, really, can you do that? He said, trust me, Boudreaux, the Lord's called me. So he took out a fishing hook and some line, Amy. He started, he started sewing that arm right back on old Boudreaux, right back in the bayou. He wrapped it up real good. The bleeding stopped, Brownie. He put a cast of like a splint on either side, wrapped it up tight. Boudreaux started to feel better. Bleeding stopped. A couple days later, he can move his arm a little bit. About a month later, he's got his range of motion back. Two months later, he's thinking, I need to get me one of them whopper ploppers. So he goes down to the bait shop, walks in the bait shop, man at the bait shop, said, Boudreaux, I heard a gator done bit your arm off. 
He said, yeah, but it's all good now. Aren't you glad the Lord called Gary to be a pastor and not a surgeon, huh? <laughs> Amen. That's right. All right, well, we're going to look at Judges. We're in the book of Judges. We're going to look at Judges, the story of Gideon this morning. That's what the Rev, he, they're hard up for preaching, so he called and asked me if I could fill in one Sunday while he's gone and uh, had to be down here this week for work. Uh, anyway, so here we are, Judges chapter 6. My buddy Will's going to hang on that microphone. He's going to be my reader this morning. So when we have a passage, Will's going to read it right there. Okay, Will, let's go. Judges chapter 6, verse 1. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Now, does this sound familiar? The Israelites did evil in the sight. The whole book of Judges, that's what it's about. They do evil. God raises up a deliverer, a judge, and then he dies and goes away. Another generation comes up. They do evil again. The same thing has happened here. Now, keep reading, Will, verse 2, 3, 4, and 5. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage If you were in Israel those days, you were in a bad way. Israel, like most countries, was an agrarian society. And if you got somebody stealing all your crops and killing all your livestock, things are not good. You're hiding in cliffs and caves, and everybody in Israel was scared of the Midianites and the Amalekites who joined them. So what did Israel do? Verse 6. Go, Will. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Gideon replied, whoa, whoa. Sorry, it was up there. That's just verse 6, bro. Come on, man. Forgive me. Follow directions. Aren't we like that? Things go south. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Forget that. What what did verse 1 say, Will? Israel sinned against the Lord. Yeah, did evil evil in the sight of... You just read it. You should remember. Did evil in the sight of the Lord. They did that, right? But then things start going south. Lord, I need your help. Lord, please help me. Forget the fact that they're worshiping idols. Forget the fact that they're not really trying to follow. Don't we do that too? Things go south. We're not really living for God. We're no, Lord, Lord, things are bad. My business is in trouble. My relationship's in trouble. I'm broke. I'm sad. Lord, help me. Then we got stuff going on. We're, we're not even really thinking about God the rest of the time. Sometimes I think we do that. So then the Lord hears their prayer to a point where he brings a prophet. And the prophet tells, this is an unnamed prophet. Gideon, our, our Judges chapter 6 doesn't say. Some prophet comes. He says, let me tell you what the deal is. The Lord delivered you guys from Egypt out of slavery and out of, out of bondage. And all he said was, don't have any other idols. And here you are worshiping other idols. That's why this is going on. All right. And so Gideon is there, and the Lord comes and calls Gideon. We're going to come back to this whole situation of when he came to call Gideon toward the end, all right? But I want to talk a little bit about what's going on in the rest of the, of the time in Gideon. So we'll read that next verse. I think it's 17 of chapter 6, Judges. Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. All right, so 
the Lord comes and tells Gideon, hey, I want you to come deliver Israel. Gideon goes, okay, that sounds great. Now we'll talk some more a little bit about what, what he said and how he said it. But he says, I need a sign. I need you to show me. I need you to show me that you, you really want to, that to happen. So what does he say? Verse 18. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. So what did Gideon do, Will? Gideon went inside, prepared a young goat, and from an ephah of flour, he made bread without yeast. Putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot, he brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. Have any of y'all ever prepared a goat? You, know, you have? You've prepared a goat? Well, let me tell you a story about that. Benno, is that you? You prepared a goat? Really, Benno? Well, I was down there with Jose. He's on the back corner. And, and, and uh, we were down in Mexico. This is a long time ago. Kevin Grogan was there. Kurt Jones was there. We had junior high kids on a mission trip. And we're spending the night staying in a church, all right? And, 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 and it gets to be about, oh, you know, after lunch sometime, I said, Jose, what are we going to eat? Jose looked at me like, I hadn't even thought about that. Jose doesn't plan very well for these trips. And so, so he goes, come on, brother, we'll go, we'll, go, we'll go find us a goat. I said, really? I said, yeah. So we hop in the van. Jose drives down the old dusty road in this village we were staying at somewhere deep into Mexico. He walks up to this guy. He buys a goat. That wasn't a young goat. It was a big old goat, about that big. And we put it in the van, take it back over there, all right, to the place that we were staying. And he says, the men at the church will fix this goat up, and we'll have it for supper. And that's what Gideon did. It takes a long time. I told the junior high students, I said, look at here. We just got us a goat. We're going to have it for supper. And it's sitting back there on the tailgate of that pickup truck. And they're getting ready to slaughter that goat and clean it up and cook it. If y'all want to go watch, I said, this is the way most of the world eats, all right? Some that don't have refrigeration all the time, they go kill an animal, they clean it. So if you want to go watch, go watch. Couple of them girls and junior high boys, they went back and they go, well, I want to see that. And well, yeah, it's going to be cool. I'm telling you, they go out there. I can't, it's, it's not appropriate for the pulpit to describe what they did to that goat, okay? <laughs> but they did it in broad daylight, and three of them junior high kids saw that brownie, and they, boom, they tossed their cookies right there on the ground because they freaked out. They did. Whoo! But that's what Gideon does. He goes and prepares the goat. He brings it back to the Lord and, and puts it on a, on a, God said, put it on a rock. And he put the goat with the meat, the broth and everything and, and the bread on this rock. This, the angel of the Lord or Jesus, I'm going to talk about that in a minute, who I really think that is, touched it with his staff. And as soon as he touched it, fire comes up out of the rock, consumes the meat, and it's gone. Gideon says, oh, praise the Lord. You are the Lord. Now I know it's really you talking to me. So God has called Gideon to do that, all right? Now, Gideon wants confirmation. Gideon's always wanting confirmation, right? He does it three times in this whole story. He said, okay, if it's really you, show me. Burns up the meat. And then Gideon says, look here, God, I know, I know, you, I know you're telling me to do this, but I'm really nervous about it, so here's what I want to do. I'm going to get a fleece of wool. And I'm going to set it out on the ground at night. And in the morning when I get up, can you make the wool wet and the ground around it dry? 
Gideon goes to bed. In the morning, he gets up. He takes that fleece of wool, picks it up, and wrings out a whole bowl full of water right out of that fleece. And the ground all the way around, it's dry. And then he says, Lord, don't be mad. Don't be mad. I'm really, I, I'm, I'm, I, here's what, tonight, do the opposite. Make the fleece dry and the ground wet. Gideon goes to bed. Next morning, he gets up. The fleece is dry. The ground is wet. Gideon says, okay, I'm in. Now, Miss Debbie, you ever heard people say, you need to set out a fleece before the Lord for direction and guidance on what he wants you to do? Y'all ever heard that? Anybody ever heard? Raise your hand if you heard that. You hear it all the time. Set out a fleece. Set out a fleece. Let me talk about setting out fleeces. Setting out fleece, a fleece. This is, okay, Lord, if you do this, this is, if this happens, this is what you want me to do. It doesn't quite fit. Gideon set out a fleece for, not for guidance, but for confirmation on what God already told him to do. The fleece was Gideon's problem because Gideon didn't have enough faith, right? It was for confirmation of what God already told him to do. And number two, the fleece was a miracle. He asked God to do something supernatural to confirm what he's told him to do. Now, I hear a young lady, Kylie, Brittany, I hope you didn't do this. Lord. I'm going to set out a fleece. And if you want me to marry this man, when he walks up to me, have him have a big smile on his face. But if I don't need to marry him, Lord, when he walks up to me today, have him have a frown on his face. That's my fleece I'm setting out before you. Let me tell you something. He might have a smile on his face because he's in a good mood. He might have a frown on his face because he's got gas real bad. You don't know. You know, fleece is for confirmation of what God's already told you to do. It's really because you don't have enough. Now, I'm not saying God doesn't act. God doesn't move. God doesn't answer prayer. God doesn't open doors and shut doors. He does that all the time. He's done it this, just this past week in our life up on the farm with some stuff I don't have time to tell you about. And God does move. But this idea of, okay, God, if you're going to cause this to happen, this means this and this means that. That's not, I don't really think that's this whole biblical idea of setting. Be careful with that setting out of fleece stuff. Can get you in trouble. All right? So we're going to keep going here. All right. So Gideon gets his confirmation. He gets the fleece. The spirit of the Lord comes on him. He blows the trumpet and musters 32,000 Israelites to come fight the Midianites. They all gather together, and God says to Gideon, 32,000 is too many. I don't need that many. Tell everybody who's scared to go home. So he said, okay, if y'all scared, go home. Guess what? 22,000 of the 32,000 left and went home, left him with an army of 10,000. And then God said, you know what? I don't need 10,000. I don't care if there's 135,000 Midianites and Amalekites. I don't need 10,000. I want the people to know that this victory is mine, so take them all down to the spring." Tell them to get a drink of water. If they get down on their knees to get the water out of the spring, send them home. But if they reach down there and grab some water and stand up looking around, seeing if anybody's going to come to get them, that's the ones you keep. Well, he takes uh, 10,000 of them down there, only 300 reached down there and got the water and was looking when they drank. Kept those 300 good soldiers, sent the rest of them home. They left their trumpets and their provisions and their stuff with them, sent them all home. And, and, and the Lord confirmed to Gideon one more time that this was the night that they were supposed to battle. And so 
he has them all at the camp. It's night. It's dark. He says, okay, boys, you 300, everybody get your torch and a jar. Put the torch in. I'll light the torch, put it inside the jar so nobody can see it, and get your trumpet. And we're going to walk. And they surrounded the camp of the Midianite in the middle of the night. It was pitch black. They surrounded the camp. And Gideon says, on my signal, do this. Break the jar. Makes a big crashing sound. The light of the torch sets up. Then take that trumpet and blow it for all you got. All together, they did this. Now, the people knew that trumpets, you'd have like one trumpeteer for about a 1,000 soldiers. 300 trumpets go off at one time. The Midianites think they're surrounded. It's dark. They get scared. They start fighting each other. They killed a bunch of each other, and then the rest of them took off running. Gideon's army goes chasing them. He musters the rest of the army he called up before, and they run the Midianites all the way out of Israel, and they don't bother them again. Gideon gets a big victory. That's the story of Judges 6, 7, and 8, and the story of Gideon. Now we're going to go back to chapter 6. We're going to make three points, and then we're going to go eat lunch. (laughs) All right? So here we go. Verse 25, Willie. That same night the Lord said to him, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Keep going. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer a second bull as a burnt offering. Okay, back to verse 1, Willie. Why were the Israelites in trouble? Because they, they did evil in the sight of the Lord, right? Okay, and not only, and they were worshiping other idols. That was on. Now, Gideon, who he's called to deliver, guess what Gideon has on his own place? His daddy has an altar to Baal and an Asherah pole. So the first thing God says to do, Gideon, you know what? You need to get rid of that mess. You go cut down that Asherah pole, use that wood to make an altar, sacrifice the best bull out of your daddy's herd to God, and build an altar to me and get rid of that mess. If you're going to be used by me, you've got to get rid of those idols. Point number one, we do this with youth all the time. Y'all got to guess it. Here comes point number one. I'm just going to put the letters up there, figure out what it is. Tony, you can't do it. You got them all last time. Hint, first word is if. If if you want God to answer your prayer, if you want God to answer your prayer, you need to know, get, if you want God to answer prayer, you need to get idols out of your life. That's right. Good job, Taffy. If you want to get God, you got it. Okay. If you want to get, if you want God to answer your prayer, get the idols out of your life. That's what they were doing. That's what Gideon was doing. He had to get the idols out of his life. Now, let me tell you something. I don't think we have anybody here who worships Baal or has an Asherah pole in their yard. But I bet you. There may be some folks here that worship the almighty dollar as much as the almighty Lord. For the purposes of this sermon, an idol is anything you put above or equal to God. All right? And, and, and if you want God to really hear and act and answer your prayers, you don't need to have things above or equal to him. An idol might be a relationship. An idol might be a hobby. An idol might be prestige or fame or those kinds of things. Now, you can have hobbies. I got two hobbies. Caleb, my two hobbies, what are they? Number one, 
Fishing. Number two, baseball. Fishing and baseball. I love fishing and baseball, right? I coached Tony in high school. I coached Grace Prep for 20-something years. I coached Warren County High back in Tennessee this year. I love playing baseball. And, but I've had the opportunity to use baseball for God's glory. I've had men on my adult baseball team I've helped lead to the Lord that didn't know Jesus and my love for baseball, I can't put above God. I have to glorify God on the baseball field, right? I've had the opportunity to take students fishing. I do youth ministry and fishing at the same time. Now, I've been a we go, but I take a lot of kids too, you know, and it's great to use that, but that can't be an idol. I can't put that above God, all right? I talked to some young people. They say, you know what my idol is, Joe? My idol is my phone. I can't go anywhere without my phone. I think about my phone more than I think about God. I'm worried about social media and all this kind of stuff. And I put that above the Lord. Don't do that. An idol is anything you put equal to or above God. And if you really want God to work in your life, answer your prayer. I'm not saying you got to be perfect, okay? But I'm saying God's got to be number one. It can't be your phone. It can't be baseball. It can't be bunny. God's got to be number one. All right. So, let's talk about relationship. Sometimes an idol can be a relationship. Now, I'm not talking about a marriage relationship. If you have someone that's bringing you down, every time you're around them, you feel farther away from God. You do things you ought not do. It is not a relationship that's bringing you closer to God, but you don't want to give it up. You're putting that above God. You need to move from that relationship. Now, I'm not talking about a marriage relationship. Don't be going home and say, well, Joe said, honey, since you ain't bringing me closer to God, we're getting a divorce because I got to get rid of anything that's an island. That's not what I'm talking about. The Bible talks about what happens when you marry an unbeliever. And how you can help lead that unbeliever to Jesus, right? That's not grounds for divorce. Don't say I'm saying that. But if you're not married and you have one of those kinds of relationships, that's not a good thing. You need to move away from that. All right. Point number two. We're heading that way. That's point number one. Get them idols out. Point number two. Real we will read verse 11, chapter 6. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite. 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 That's my guess. Abizrite. Hey, is it Amalekites or Amalekites? Abizrites. Okay. There we go. <laughs> All right. Where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Okay, now if you're threshing wheat, let me tell you how you thresh wheat. You, you get uh, some stalks of wheat, and you get in a wide open place, kind of up on a hill maybe, where the wind's blowing. And you take that wheat, and you bang it on some kind of big flat thing, a big rock or something, and the chaff, the husk of the wheat is really light, and it blows off in the wind, and the kernels of wheat fall to the ground right in front of you. That's what you do when you're threshing wheat. Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press. A wine press is not a wide open area because he's afraid of the Midianites. He's in, he's in hiding. He is scared. The angel of the Lord, I think it's actually Jesus because if you keep reading in, in chapter 6, it sometimes calls him the angel of the Lord, not an angel of the Lord. It calls him the angel of the Lord. And then sometimes it uses the term the Lord. So I think it's a type of Christ. I may not be right about that. I ain't real smart on some of this stuff. If you want to know the real answer, ask Jerry Bates. 
He is smart on that kind of stuff. But I think it's kind of a type of Jesus, all right? So Gideon is hiding in fear. Read verse 12, Will. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Mighty warrior. The Lord called Gideon a mighty warrior. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon's going, I'm not a mighty warrior. I'm a chicken. I'm scared to death. I'm I'm hiding. What do you mean, mighty warrior? The Lord is with me. And, and, And look what Gideon says, verse 13. I love this. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon. Pardon me, my Lord. I'm not a mighty warrior. Are you kidding? Keep reading. I'm sorry, Will. Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hands of Midian. All right. Gideon's going, the same thing the other people. Where where are you, Lord? Mighty warrior? Me? Mighty warrior? I'm not a mighty warrior. I'm scared to death. If God is with us, how come all this is happening to us? Now, the fact of the matter is, God called him to be a mighty warrior. God saw him as a mighty warrior, even though he didn't see him. This is point number two. Figure this one out. God, God sees us as, as, who he has called us to be. God sees us as who he has called us to be, not necessarily who we think we are, right? He sees us as who he has called us to be. We might think we're chicken, we're mighty warrior. But let me tell you something. God called me to do youth ministry when I was 18 years old. I was a freshman in college, Lipscomb University in Nashville, Tennessee, started teaching ninth and 10th graders when I was 18. I'll be 65 next month, except for that five years, Debbie, when my life went nuts. I've been doing youth ministry ever since I was 18. That's a long time. You think you're too old for youth ministry. God called me to it. I love, love, love teenagers. You know, Kylie's going to get married. She's asked me to do her wedding. Ashlyn and Jimmy. I was Ashlyn's youth pastor. They're sitting right here. I did their, I love teenagers. God's called me to do that, and I know that. And I can use baseball and fishing in doing it, right? My sweet bride back there, Rebecca, the Lord has called her to serve. She has a ministry of serving. And you know what? Every Wednesday night for years and years and years here at Grace Youth Ministry, Rebecca would fix food for 100 kids, however many showed up. We'd have food every Wednesday night. All right, every retreat, every winter advance, every focus, every ski trip, Rebecca coordinated all the food. You know why? Because God's given her a gift of service. And when she does that, she feels God's pleasure. When I do youth ministry, I feel God's pleasure because he's called me to do it. My question to you is, what is it you do when you feel God's pleasure? I remember Cam, my youngest son. He was nine years old. We were at the other church over on Park Row, and Gary came up to him after service, laid hands on him and prayed and told Cameron, the Lord is calling you into ministry. When he was nine years old, Cameron 
this morning is a pastor in San Antonio, Texas. And he served God in ministry. And he knows that God called him to do that. And I'm not saying, I mean, I, I ain't never got paid a dime by this church. Gave him a lot of money, a lot of money. <laughs> All right? They pay me a dime. You don't have to be paid by the church or be on staff to be in ministry. God can call you. Darling, ever pay you anything? I didn't think so. I didn't pay my wife. I didn't pay me. But that's okay. We ain't doing it for money. We're doing it because God's called us, right? What has God called you to do? What is it that you do when you feel God's pleasure? Some of you know. Some of you know. God sees you that way, and he's done it. Others of you don't know. I don't know what God's called me to do. I don't know. I wish I knew. I want to know. Well, that's something you can pray about. One way to help you figure it out is what is it that you, and it doesn't have to be like Rebecca, it's cooking, but she ain't Paula Dean, right? She's cooking, you know, to serve the Lord. We had 30 some people at our farm last Sunday, 4th of July. Rebecca coordinated all the food. She loves it. She feels God's pleasure when she does it. What is it that you do? Now, aren't you glad God didn't call Gary to be a surgeon, right? <laughs> right? He called him to be a pastor. And if you don't know what God's called you to do, let me tell you something. Let me give you some ideas of the way God looks at you. I'm going to rapid fire them one after another. Here we go. Look at my bald. That's why I wear a cowboy hat all the time. Look at that. It looks terrible. You know, I never get to see the back of my head. Lord, have mercy. That's, that's bad, Taffy, I know. Okay, I'm sorry. Here we go. The way God's called you to be. God's called, throw them up. God says you are his child. God says you are his friend. God says you are his handiwork, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. God says you've been justified, Romans 5, verse 1. God says you are free from condemnation, Romans 8, verse 1. God says you are adopted into his family, Ephesians 1, verse 5. God says your citizenship is in heaven, Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. God says you belong to him, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20. God says you cannot be separated from from his love, Romans 8, verse 35. That who God, that's who God has called you to be. That's the way God sees you. Somebody say amen. amen. Get fired up. Give me some water. So that's the way God sees you. That's what he's called you to be. Even if you don't know the particular ministry, those are the things that he sees. All right, Willie. Judges 16, 14 through 19. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. All right. Again, pardon me, my Lord. Pardon me, my Lord. That's the way he responds. And then... Look what um, the Lord tells Gideon, verse 14. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Where did we go? I think we screwed up. That's supposed to be verse 14. 
Back up. Did I mess something up? You did. I'm not surprised. <laughs> Back up again. This is a real important. This is point number three. We got to get this one down. Keep going. Voila. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. All right. Am- this is what he says. This brings to point number three. Point number three is really easy. Put the letters up there, please. Right. Go in the strength you have. All right. Gideon saved Israel. And you know how he did it? He said, well, I'm just going to let go and let God. God wants me to do this, so I'm just going to pray, and I'm going to let God do it. I'm going to go home sit on the couch while I do that. He didn't do that, did he? Now, I, I'm okay sometimes. There are things that you can't control, and all you can do is pray about it, and you need to pray, 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 pray. But there are some things, Billy, God's called you to do. You need to get off the daggum couch, right? And you need to get up and, and go in the strength you have. You go, well, my strength isn't enough. I know. That's why I've called you to do it, and I will be with you. But it ain't going to happen with your sitting on the couch. Sorry. Almost said something pulpit inappropriate. <laughs> God's saying, get up and go. You don't have to do it all. You don't even have to know how it all ends. I think God's called us to build a house. You know what? I don't really know how to build a house. I'm learning. My brother-in-law, Rebecca's brother's up there. He's helping me. We just got the rough in plumbing inspection passed last week. I ain't never done that in my life. All right? And I made some mistakes, and the inspector said, you need to change that. And when he changed it, I found two pipes that weren't glued together, Brownie. They weren't glued together. And then I changed it. We'd have had a leak under our slab. God says, go in the strength you have. Figure it out. I'll take care of the rest. Had the inspector not said that was wrong, we'd have never found it. We'd have had a mess. God, if, if he's calling you to do it, go do it. Just start. Go in the strength you have. Get off the couch. I'm calling you to serve. Go in the strength you have. I'll take care of the rest. Thank you. Now, we're about done. I got one more verse that I want to read, Then we're going to close, and we're going to pray, and we're going to have a little invitation, then we'll eat lunch. All right, let's go. Last verse. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has prepared in advance some stuff for you to do. All right? He's prepared that in advance. You might not know what it is. Ask him. He'll show you. But he's prepared those works in advance for you to do. And we are his handiwork. All right? And it doesn't have to be some kind of full-time ministry. All right? It may be the way you run your concrete business. It may be, Tony, the way that you're a financial planner. Bruce, it might be the way you paint, right, for people. Chris, it might be the way you serve people as a, as a whatever guy working on an ambulance, E-M-T, E-M-S, E-something. Paramedic. What? Paramedic. Paramedic. You see, all that can be ministry he's called you to do, and you can use it for his glory. But God's called you to do it. Go in the strength you have. He'll take care of the rest. Now, here's my message to you. Tony, come on up. We're getting ready to do a song. You may be sitting here this morning, and you may be thinking, I got idols. I got idols. Might be your phone. Might be a relationship. 
anything you're putting equal to or above God, and you need to not have that. We're going to have our elders down front, and they're going to pray for you. If you have that, they will pray for you and help. And this could be the, delay, the day that that idol ends and goes away. You may be thinking, I don't know what God's called me to do. I want to know. Can you pray for me to help me figure out what God's called me to do? Or you may be thinking, yeah, I kind of do know what God's called me to do, and I ain't doing it. I'm on the couch. I need to be motivated to get out and go in the strength I have. We're going to ask you to stand up. Tony's going to lead us a song. We're going to ask our elder couples to come down. We had a lot of people first service come down and pray. Don't be shy. I mean, getting prayer is one of the best things you can do. And this has, this has I, can, I know some of you, this hits you right here. And you're going, I needed that. I needed that. If that's you, come on up. Tony, go ahead. Our elder couples will come down here. We'll pray. Take my hands and make them clean. Yes. Keep my heart in purity. Come on now. That I may walk yes. all I have for me. We want to pray for you. Come on. Come on. Yes. Yes. Come on over here. Get some prayer. Take my moments. Amen. Amen. My days. Let each breath. That's right. That some of our pastors will come up and we can pray for these folks. Too. Ever only Amen. Come on. For you, oh God. right. Lord, we're here. Arms open wide. Oh, I'm yours and you are mine. We need some more folks to come pray. If you can come help pray for these folks, that'd be good. We've got folks pouring their hearts out up here. If you can come pray for some of these people, come pray. That's right. Oh, right. Jesus. Keep going, Tony. This is my whole life. Life is yours. Give it all. Surrender to your name. Come on, you can get some prayer. It's not too late. God is here. He's moving. I, I know it. He's here and he's moving. Just respond to him. My whole life is yours. I give it all. Surrender to your name. Amen. Come on. Forever I will pray. Have your All right, let's, let's close together in prayer. Father, thank you for all these that have come up. Lord God, it's humbling. It's humbling to me that, that you can just use us to, to reach out and touch hearts. And I pray, Father, as these commitments are being made in the name of Jesus, that you would seal them 
that these idols that some of these folks have in their life, they would just go away. Lord God, that they would know to go in the strength that they have. And they would understand what you've called them to be. We thank you, Lord God, and we pray for these people that are here and the people that are online watching as well. We pray in the mighty name of Jesus you would move and you would hear and you would answer. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Come give some of these folks a hug. Go get some lunch.